Right after the devastating tornadoes in May of this year in Oklahoma, Lifeway Research completed a survey about suffering and faith in God. The question that they asked in the survey was, how do you feel about God when suffering occurs that seems unfair? How do you feel about God when suffering occurs that seems unfair? 33% said, I trust God more. 25% said, I am confused about God. 16% said, I don't think about God in these circumstances. 11% said, I wonder if God cares. 8% said, I'm angry or resentful toward God. And 7% said, I doubt if God exists. What do you think? How do you feel about God when suffering occurs that seems unfair? This is an especially inappropriate question as we come to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24 this morning. So I want to invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Our passage begins in verse 24. And this is appropriate. If I get to the next page. By the way, I encourage you to follow along on your outline and your program because we now are to the first point. And the first point is this. Because sometimes obedience to Christ brings suffering. Sometimes obedience to Christ brings suffering. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 24. And uh, I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. And the Apostle Paul writes... Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for the ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints." To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, we're going to look at a believer's experience. Verse 24, the Apostle Paul starts this way. Now, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. This was Paul's experience. Uh, As Paul wrote this letter... Paul happened to be in Rome as a prisoner. He had been arrested two years earlier in Jerusalem, which is a long way from Rome, for his stand for Jesus Christ, and he was taken to Rome. It took two years to get to Rome, and then he was in prison for two more years where he was chained to a Roman soldiers for 12 hours at a time. So every day he got two soldiers. And he was in prison when he writes the book of Colossians. Um, Sometimes obedience to Christ brings suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26, um, we see a a little portrait of some of the events in Paul's life. In In verse 23, he's talking about false teachers. 
and he's kind of comparing himself to false teachers. And he says, are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. He's describing his firsthand experience when it comes to some of the suffering he did. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. There was a belief that if you, if you went over 39, the prisoner might die. So they'd stop at 39 with the whip. Next slide. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night on the day on the sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, non-Jewish people, the nations, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the sea, and in danger from false believers. Um, this was Paul's life as a follower of Christ. And um, I look at Paul, and I see Paul as uh, probably the greatest Christian of all time. Uh, if you want to look at an example of a believer in Jesus in the scriptures, it's the Apostle Paul. Sometimes American Christians end up with this viewpoint that, you know, if, if I'm a good Christian... God's going to take care of everything and I won't suffer and I won't be uncomfortable. I'm going to have the good life. And uh, sometimes obedience to Christ brings suffering. We need to be clear about this. Um, also in verse 24, a believer's understanding, if you're moving along in your outline... Um, Paul begins now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you and then he goes on to say and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body which is a church now that could be a little bit confusing in fact I hope it raises a question for you because it's a big theological issue here uh, how can Paul fill up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is a church? Uh, is Paul saying that he has to suffer more because there wasn't enough suffering done by Jesus? Does that lead to the question, is Paul, is Paul saying that we have to suffer more because Jesus' suffering wasn't enough for eternal salvation? Do you see that conflict in that passage? Do you see that question being raised? Um, it's a good question. Um, it, in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and all of the rest of the scriptures, teaches that Jesus died on the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin, and that is enough. And we don't add anything else to it. Jesus suffered his death on the cross. It was total, complete, absolutely enough. And he's... Paul said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that it is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. Suffering would be viewed as a good work. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is by grace, it is a gift. It is something Jesus accomplished and offers to us a gift. That's salvation. Okay? So what is Paul 
talking about here. Um, let me take us back into the Apostle Paul's life at his conversion experience in Acts chapter 9. And uh, we looked at Acts 9 a couple of weeks back. So this is a reminder. When Jesus, when, when Paul, his name was Saul, remember Saul of Tarsus, met Jesus for the very first time. He was on the, the road to Damascus and he had an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus, you know, pretty much just knocked him to the ground. And uh, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Well, was Paul persecuting Jesus? Paul was persecuting Christians. Paul was arresting uh, people who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and he was putting them in jail. He thought he was doing a good work, for the Jewish nation. And Jesus comes and says, Paul, you were persecuting me. You were hurting me. You were causing me pain because when Christians suffer, I suffer. But that's not about salvation. Okay? Listen to... Um, I'm going to stay in Acts 9. I didn't... I didn't uh, put this on the PowerPoint, but listen to Acts 9, the very same chapter, and uh, verse 15, but this is later, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, meaning Saul, is a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for me. When Jesus commissioned Paul he told him how much he would suffer for the sake of the gospel. That was part of the role that the Apostle Paul took on. And so uh, Paul is saying, I'm suffering for you as a church. I'm in prison. I'm going through all these things for the sake of the gospel. And Paul is also saying, I'm doing what Jesus told me to do. And it includes the, the suffering. Now, one other thing I want to say about, back to um, Acts 1, verse 24. Let me just read it one more time now. I rejoice in what, I was, what has, was suffered for you and fill up in my flesh, Paul says, what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Key word here, afflictions. Afflictions was never used in the New Testament of the suffering death of Jesus. Afflictions are trials and tests, including physical suffering that we have in this life. You have afflictions, I can have afflictions, and uh, the Apostle Paul had afflictions, and Jesus had afflictions in his life too. But this is not a word used for his death, for the substitutionary atonement that purchased our salvation. Okay? So, that's not, so Paul is not talking about eternal salvation. By the way, just FYI, there is a church known very well in our world that in 1263 made a doctrine of their church that if you suffer, you get to add grace points toward salvation. If you die as a martyr, you could be saved. Thinking that suffering adds to your eternal salvation. False teaching. Okay. Have I totally confused you now? Let's go on. A believer's commitment, verses 25 through 27. 
Paul writes in verse 25, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you to the word of God in its fullness. He got that commission in Acts chapter 9. The mystery has been kept hidden from ages and generations, but has now been disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This was Paul's commitment to present the word of God in its fullness. Not part of it, but all of it, completely. This fan up here. It's causing me affliction, <laughs> but it's very minor. Paul's role was very unique. His job, nobody had been given this job before, ever. Paul's job was to make this mystery known from the Word of God in all its fullness. It was a mystery that had been kept hidden for ages and generations. Um, his job was to disclose what had never been revealed before. This mystery would be a game changer for all of the human race and in the history of the world. This mystery is this. God has raised up a new group of people called the church, the body of Christ. This church is made up of both Jew and Gentile, and the dividing wall has been torn down, and there's no separation, no racial separation, no ethical separation between these two groups who have come together in Christ by placing their faith in Christ. Their sins are forgiven, and they now are on an equal level because of their faith in Christ. This is the mystery revealed. It is the church, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, Paul used two key words here that it's easy for us to pass over. The first key word is fullness. Some of you remember that from last week. The Greek word was pleroma. Fullness was one of those technical words used in the first century Greek philosophy, Gnosticism. Pleroma was like uh, this key word that was the bridge to the spiritual world. There were a lot of views on what the Pleroma, the fullness, was. Some thought it was related to the stars. Some thought it was related to the angels. It's like you touch one, you touch the other, you touch them all until you get there. It's like they're going to be a bridge together. Like the stars are going to be a bridge to the eternal it was part of this first world view that was beginning to affect uh, the church in, in Colossae in the first century. And Paul is saying, in Jesus you find all the fullness. Uh, chapter 1, verse 16, Jesus has all the fullness of God. You don't need to go anywhere else but Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. And now uh, Paul is saying the fullness of the word of God who is Jesus as a person and who is the written word of God. And what the written word of God about Jesus, it contains all the fullness. That's why he spent so much time in chapter 1 verses uh, 15 through 20 talking about this awesome God we have, Jesus Christ, who is preeminent, has first place 
in everything. So uh, the second key word is mystery. Mystery is one of those um, first century Gnostic concepts. Mystery, people were searching for this mystery, and a mystery was something that was hidden from everybody and was revealed to only a special few, an elite few, somebody who had special knowledge. They got in on this. And the Apostle Paul is saying, here's the mystery, guys. My job is to reveal it to the whole world. This is the mystery. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory, that has established this new body of Christ, the church, that includes both Jew and Gentile, and there's no division. That's the mystery. Never been revealed before, now revealed by the Apostle Paul. If you read all of the Old Testament, the church, the body of Christ, is not there. It is revealed in the New Testament, and it is revealed explicitly by the Apostle Paul. Next, the believer's expectations. So here's the deal. When it comes to suffering, how do you feel about God when suffering occurs? What seems like in an unjust way. How do you feel about God? What are your expectations when it comes to suffering? Sometimes obedience to Christ brings suffering. Would you be okay with that? Romans 12.1 says... Offer your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. What if that included suffering? Are you okay if the Lord of the church, while you're walking with Christ, walks you in to suffering? Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul said this to Timothy, and this... and. Of this gospel, I was appointed a herald, and one who proclaims an apostle and a teacher. That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Paul thought uh, suffering would be normal for him, and he was ready. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I have to say, I have not suffered much for my faith. I'm not sure I've really suffered at all. I'm not sure I've really been persecuted. Maybe I've been laughed at a couple of times for being a Christian. You know, I remember as a brand new Christian, I was 25, I'd been an atheist, and I became this follower of Christ. Probably a few people laughed at me. I've probably been laughed at a few times as a pastor. Maybe not for my faith, maybe for other reasons, but... um, I don't think I've really gone, uh, experienced much. It's amazing. Why do I get to live in America today and have a pretty safe existence? I certainly don't deserve it, but I, especially when I look around the world and look at my brothers and sisters who don't have it like I do. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Peter writes, Peter knew about suffering. By the way, all of the apostles suffered. Every one of them suffered physically. All of the apostles but one were martyrs. The only one that wasn't a martyr was uh, the apostle John, who was thrown into a vat of oil and lived, a hot vat of oil, and lived. They were trying to kill him, and then he died of old age, apparently, on the Isle of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Peter says, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer in grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater work than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus is revealed. Peter is saying, you're going through some really hard times, you're suffering, and God is growing and developing your faith and changing it, and it's becoming more precious all the time. First Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. You want to read a theology of suffering? Go home and read the book of First Peter. Every time you see suffering, circle it. For it is commendable, Peter writes, if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. If you suffer unjustly and you bear up, Paul's, Peter says that's commendable to God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? You get thrown in prison and have a hard time because you've disobeyed the law and you hold up under it, so what? But if you suffer for doing good and you, you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. If you walk with Christ one step at a time, that might include suffering. So, sometimes obedience to Christ brings suffering. Let's go on to... Uh, Number two, sometimes obedience to Christ requires hard work. Sometimes obedience requires hard work. Isn't that? That's a, just drop the pressure down there quite a bit. I don't, I, would, I don't mind a little hard work. I don't want to suffer, but I, okay, let's work hard. But let's talk about hard work. Um, our mission is life-changing. And let me just stop and talk about where I get mission. First of all, we have a mission, and the way we describe it at the bridge is our mission is to help people connect with God and develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. And we take that from Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Help people connect with God. We call that evangelism. We help them understand who Jesus is, understand what Jesus has done for them, and that their response is to place their faith in Christ. In fact, that's all you need to do to connect with God. If you've never done that before, is to place your faith in Jesus Christ, understanding who he is and what he's done for you. It's a gift. And then there's the other part of the commission, and it's to help, after we help people connect with God, it's to develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Help them grow as Christians. Develop them into fully devoted. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Everything. Not just the parts we like, Everything might even include suffering. So we, that's our mission, help people connect with God, develop them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Um, we come to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28. Our mission is life-changing. Here's what Paul says. He is the one, referring back to Jesus, we proclaim, admonishing, and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. This is another way to talk about mission. It's about proclaiming Christ, okay? That's who Jesus is and what he's done. That's the gospel. That's the evangelistic part. This was the heart of the Apostle Paul. Next, Paul says, admonishing and teaching everyone. First, admonishing with wisdom. Admonishing is not one of those favorite things people like to do or one of the favorite things they like to hear. To admonish means to advise against or to counsel against, to caution someone against. 
to reprove someone or to scold someone uh, with a good-willed manner, to remind or to urge them to duty or to responsibility. By the way, do you like to be admonished? Do you enjoy when somebody comes and admonishes you? Boy, that just goes against American culture to have anybody, who do they think they are? The Apostle Paul says this is an important part of discipleship and it requires a certain um, ability to receive on our part. If I'm a growing follower of Christ and somebody wants to help me grow, I need to listen. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's hard to hear. It took me a long time to listen to my wife admonish me, but after a while I caught on. Because she helps me grow. She helps me see things that I don't always see. I don't always enjoy it. But I, I've, I'm learning to listen. Um, and a lot of people can admonish me. I, I admit it's not easy, but it's, what I want to say, it's, it's a part. And sometimes you need to admonish another follower of Christ. And it, you know, it really helps if you're in a good, healthy relationship where they, where they can feel safe and they know they're loved. That's why it's so important we develop those relationships in the body of Christ. And the last one is teaching with wisdom. Teaching includes instruction and modeling, instruction in the knowledge of God's Word, demonstrating how to live, demonstrating how to do ministry. Um, and this is discipleship, admonishing and teaching with wisdom. Wisdom is about skill, the art of skillful living. Teaching with wisdom, admonishing with wisdom, admonishing with skill to help people. And lastly, uh, here, presenting everyone perfect in Christ. This is teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Perfect in Christ. Um, you're not going to be perfect until you get to heaven. But the word perfect here has the idea of being complete, fully mature. That's what perfect means here. That's the goal. Full devotion to Christ. Fully devoted follower of Christ. Fully mature in Christ. That's the goal. That's Paul's mission. And it's one more way to talk about it. Next, our mission can be accomplished only through Christ's energy. Verse 29, Paul says, To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. The Apostle Paul was willing to work hard for the gospel. He gave his life to it. He gave his life energy to it every day. To this end, I strenuously contend. This was effort on Paul's part. Uh, Ministry is hard work. But he strenuously contends with the energy Christ powerfully works in him. And that's the key. If you get one takeaway today, this might be it for you. It's about being able to serve God, to live for God, to work for God in his energy. Paul talks about this in a well-known passage, Philippians chapter 2, around verses 12 and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
It's not work for your salvation. It's work out your salvation. It's already in you. Work out what God has worked in, for it is God who is at work in you. How did he get in there? Well, you place your faith in Christ, and you receive the gift of salvation, and God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Work out what God has worked in, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, You and I need energy that comes from God to serve him. We need it every day just to live for him. Whatever we do, we need it. We need to depend on him. And I can't think of a better way than just to plain out ask him every day for his strength. Um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him, through Christ who gives me strength. I'm so glad I learned that the first week I became a Christian because I knew I couldn't do it alone. And I found out that if I asked for help, I got help. I asked Jesus to help me with addictions, and lo and behold, he helped me. What do you know? And I need to depend. I find out that I get really tired when I forget to ask. I can do a lot of good Christian things and not depend on Christ. And that wears me out. How silly when I can ask Christ for strength. Yes, I get tired, and yes, I, need, I can sleep well when I go home, but I want to do ministry with Christ's energy and Christ's strength. Um, John 15, 5. The, uh, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Just another good reminder. Jesus is saying, walk closely with me. Stay close. Don't drift away. Stay close. Depend on me. I'm in you. You stay with me. You will bear fruit if you stay close. That's what I want. That's what brings me joy is when you grow, when you serve, uh, when you have an impact, when you love people and help people and serve people and encourage people, when you share the gospel with people, that bears fruit. But if you don't stay connected with me, if you don't depend on me, if you don't rely on my strength, you can do zip. You're worthless. That's, that's how simple it is. So, uh, you know, when we think about serving, you know, if you, if you serve in Bridge Kids, don't do it unless you depend on Christ. If you serve in VBS. By the way, just stop and think about VBS. There's a week there where you could change the trajectory of a child's life. Put them on a whole new course for Christ. Don't serve in VBS if you're not depending on Christ. It makes a big difference if you're on the welcome team. You're welcoming people, little things. It makes a big difference when you walk into the office on Monday or back into the classroom or whatever you do. If you're depending on Christ, you will bear fruit. You'll shine brightly. Otherwise, zero, nothing for Christ's sake. On to chapter 2, verse 1. Our mission requires serious effort. Paul says, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you and those at Laodicea and for all who have met me, not met me personally. By the way, the Apostle Paul had never begun... 
stop. Say it over. The Apostle Paul had never been to the city of Colossae that we know of. He had never seen this church firsthand that we know of. He had never been to Laodicea. That was a church, one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. He'd never been there. Yet he's communicating with them, and he's working hard for them. He, said, he refers to this, so for all those who have not met personally. He had met some of the leaders personally, but he had not been and talked to the church. Um, he has worked hard for them. He's been praying for them. He's developing leaders. He's representing them in Rome. Um, it, it requires serious effort. This is how he instructed uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. Paul told Timothy, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Mission requires effort. And, um, you know, sometimes American Christianity, we get the idea that, well, church... It's a nice thing. It's a good thing. And, um, you know, I'll try to volunteer when I can. And Paul says, our mission is a serious effort. And we sometimes come at this thing in church and say, well, it's just church. It's not like really important. It's a good thing. It's a nice thing. But I've got other important things too. Um, Also, In uh, chapter 2, verse 2, our mission includes building up God's people. Paul says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love. We all need encouragement. Do you like to hear encouragement? Do you like to have people say nice things? Do you like people say how much they appreciate you and what you do and how well you've done something? We all need encouragement. That's just God's design for the church. Would you encourage somebody today? Would you encourage five people today? Before you go to bed at night, somebody in your family, somebody in the church body, somebody that served you today, would you encourage them? It's so important to building up the body of Christ. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 tell us to encourage one another daily. Uh, also, our mission includes helping people. This is uh, verse 2 and verse 3. Our mission includes helping people understand sound teaching. Paul says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may be, have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. And I hope by now you see that the Apostle Paul thinks that Jesus is central to all that we are, all that we have. He is central. And Paul wanted people to understand the full riches of complete understanding so that they would know Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Give your life to studying the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and look for Christ. He was there in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. What do you learn about Jesus from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation? Give your life to that. Because in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse 4, our mission includes warning people about deception. Verse, he says, I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. 
False teaching was a real issue in the first century. It was a real issue in Colossae. It's been a real issue for 2,000 years. A little bit of distortion of the Word of God. A little deception. The enemy tried to deceive uh, Jesus. The enemy deceived Eve and then Adam. And that's exactly how the enemy tried to deceive Jesus when he was tempted uh, after being in the wilderness for 40 days by quoting the Word of God and then misquoting the Word of God. A little bit of deception. Um, So, when you think, and I'm not going to go into false doctrine a lot here, but it's a big issue. Uh, and And here's the deal. The way people deal with counterfeit money, you know how they do that? Most of you do. How can you identify counterfeit money? Well, you've got to know the real deal. You've got to know real money. And they study real money so that they know it so well that when something shows up that isn't look like that, this is, this is not the real deal. Some people study it as a profession. A lot of people who just take change every week because they handle money so much can pick up, this is not the real deal, something's wrong here. And they look at it and show it to authorities. Same thing is true about false doctrine. How do you tell the real deal? Study the original. What does the scripture say? Know the scriptures. It's amazing. I trust you because if you read the Bible, you don't have to have me tell you whether it's false teaching. If you study the Bible for yourself, you can pick it up. This, is, this doesn't sound right. There's something off here. I'm not sure what it is. It just doesn't seem right. Lastly, verse 5, our mission needs communication and progress reports. Paul says... For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in the spirit. I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul loved to hear from the churches. You can read it in his letters. He loved to hear. How's it going? I've been praying for you. Are you growing? Are people coming to faith in Christ? He loved to hear. Uh, It encouraged him to hear about the progress of the gospel. It encouraged him to hear about spiritual growth. Um, and sometimes he got a discouraging report. And you can read that in his letters too because Paul got right back and he admonished people in their faith. And you know, in the church family, we need to be in relationship because we need to hear about people growing in Christ. It encourages us. We need to hear about people coming to faith in Christ. It encourages us. It builds us up. We need to, we need to hear when things aren't going well. We need to care We need to be able to love people. We need to be able to pray for people. And sometimes we need to be able to solve a problem for somebody. Sometimes it's just as simple as money. But we have to be, we have to have that relationship. We have to have communication. We have to have progress reports. One of the reasons to have something like a growth group is is so that you're, you're in a relationship with people and you can talk and you can share and you can feel safe. Uh, so we need to be in relationship all right here we go i'm winding it down it's estimated think about this 70 did you know this Seventy-nine thousand people come to faith in jesus every day around the world Seventy-nine thousand people in 2007 there were approximately 175,000 christian martyrs put to death for their faith in Christ. 480 per day put to death. 
1970, the numbers were higher, approximately 377,000 Christian martyrs. That's 1,033 deaths every day for the sake of Christ. In the last 50 years, more people have died for their faith in Christ than in the first 300 years of the church. And the first 300 years were gruesome. When Peter was writing and Paul was writing and Peter was crucified upside down and Paul had his head cut off, it was gruesome. And more have died in the last 50 years for their faith. And yet here we are living in America. In 2006, a 20-something a young woman named Karen Watson went to Iraq to serve uh, in a humanitarian relief effort. And uh, there she was shot to death. Some of you have heard that story. She wrote a letter to her church family before she left to Iraq. She counted the costs before she left. The letter began this way. You are only reading this if I died. Then toward the end of the letter, she said this. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory my reward. That is full devotion to Christ. What about you? Do you want to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ? Let's stand to pray. Father, we just uh, stand before you and we bow our hearts before you. And uh, those are some hard questions. And yet, I think that there are many people in this room that want to pursue full devotion. Counting the cost can be hard. You've instructed us in your word to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. But that's a reasonable response on our part. You have given your life. Jesus gave his life for us. And in exchange, you ask us to voluntarily give ourselves back to you as a living sacrifice. And for most of my life, being a living sacrifice hasn't really been that hard. And even if you look at the numbers, it doesn't happen to everyone, but it does happen to some people. And yet that's the kind of devotion that you ask from us. God, it's my prayer that I would be fully devoted to you and that my body would be totally yours whether it's to suffer or whether it's to die in Jesus name Amen